The highest form of sanity is to live in the present moment. People are going around thinking about what's going to happen. You know, man, am I going to be prepared? What, what's going to happen in the game? Or think about the past. You'll lose your mind. If you want to be a fairly sane person, be where your feet are. And that's what I told him. I said, if you're having dinner, have dinner. When you're working, work. But don't work for thinking about what you're worried about two days down the road. And I said, this is going to be a challenge, and I'm giving you 44 years of coaching, 44 years of coaching, how I've managed to survive. Welcome to Talking Giants. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, coming to you with my co-host, Justin Pennick. We don't have a lot to talk about, but we're going to talk about it a lot. We got our review of the Giants' defensive lineman from Leonard Williams all the way to R.J. McIntosh. I want to talk about Daniel Jones and, and a couple of his receivers' workouts at Duke. But first of all, Justin, it was our first weekend without NFL football. You went to the XFL game. How are you doing? How was that? Fill me in. Uh, Bobby Skinner, uh, today is Monday, and Monday night I went to a uh, I went to a sports bar on my campus, and I had a an, an illegal and an inappropriate amount of chicken quesadillas. So if I vomit during this podcast, that'll be good content. All of you will hear it. It'll be great. If you throw up, I'm going to throw up. Oh, God, it'll be just this whole chain reaction, and it'll be a ton of fun. It'd be just be like a- Dwayne Haskins after he watched the Giants film. Ooh, if only I had my butum cha soundbite, I could so play that right now. Um, if only. Be, you're, you're the tyrant that made me remove it. But yes, um, I did go to the XFL this Sunday. I'm offended that you actually had the audacity to make a tweet that football is not on and that you're basically kind of enjoying your life and you're enjoying your day without football. I got personally offended because football, it's it's happening. It's happening for the next 10 weeks or however long they're playing. I'm all invested into the XFL. I'm not necessarily invested into the Guardians. Like people are way too emotionally invested in like the Guardians. I'm like, you just probably figured out that this thing existed a couple weeks ago and then you just bought your tickets this week. There were gargoyles in the MetLife Stadium parking lot. People had gargoyles. People had tents. People spent over $150, $175 on jerseys. It was wild. Absolutely wild of a time. The atmosphere was electric. You know, if you give me cheap football and it's somewhat good and it's somewhat competitive, I'm going. I'm all in. I'm all in the XFL. I'm excited for it. I, re- I really am. See, my problem is I did the I did the AAF last year. We did it on some radio. We covered it. I freaking out at a restaurant Saturday night, watched the Orlando game because I'm I'm you know an hour away from Orlando. I just needed a weekend with no football for the first time since what you know August. So I, I just I just needed that. I did watch a few minutes. It is a better product than the AAF. Just the broadcast in general is, is better than the AAF, and I think they got more like sold tickets. Than they have did in their entire uh, like tenure. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. That, that like it actually, it didn't look like there was a ton of people there because there weren't. I mean, especially if you put people at MetLife Stadium and you only use the 100 level, it's not going to look like a lot of people were there. But for the event and for the first time of this kind of event, like I said, the atmosphere was absolutely crazy and it was electric. And what really made me enjoy it is the fact that I didn't have to sell my soul to beg for the Giants to win. Now, I think it's different if you're just watching it from home, where it's like, all right, 
Football's on. I kind of need a break from football. But Bobby, uh, football, going to football games and attending and just watching it in person, it's legitimately like a drug for me. And especially if I have no emotional investment in a football game, you bet your ass if it's affordable, my ass is going to be in the seat. I'm sorry for saying ass twice. <laughs> yeah, if I if I was up in Jersey, I, I would go to a game. I watched like 10 minutes of it on TV. Matt McGloin. I like. I was always a Matt McGloin fan. You know, he was always had the kind of that gunslinger mentality. Uh, Tampa sucks. They need to start Quentin Flowers. No more Aaron Murray has shown that he can't get the job done. They got to move on with Quentin Flowers and run this read option offense. So that's my take on the Vipers. And I was with my friend who I never, almost never watched football with, who was a Tampa fan. And I had rubbed in the, you know, the Giants beating the Bucks with Daniel Jones. And I definitely was like just needling him a little bit with that too. Being like, man, it's my team versus your team, Tim. And we're just, we're dominating you guys. Even though he was pretending not to care. He did care that I was trash talking. Yeah, the only thing I was really emotionally invested was the fact that Kevin Gilbride was back on the sidelines. That That's literally it. And it's kind of it, cool to see him win. So it, it was good to see him with his mustache out there. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm on to baseball. I mean, we played a nice game of baseball. We use a chair as a strike zone, so I'm six foot seven. <laughs> so I get on top of every ball because the strike zone is like at my knees. So I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get a hit worth nothing. I was like all ground balls. So I just got on top of everything. That's where you and Aaron Judge uh, have the biggest similarity to each other. So congratulations, best friends. Joe Judge and Aaron Judge. The, my, I have a lot of judges in my life. A lot of people judge me. Anyways, let's get into the New York Giants. Daniel Jones and Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton were at Duke working with Coach Cutcliffe. We kind of knew this was going to happen. Eli did this for many years. Cutcliffe likes to bring his guys back. Peyton would go back and work with him. I love these things, man. This, this would probably be, if there was one offseason thing I could go to and just spend time with the people around, not just be, like watching from afar, it would be this. Because I would love to hear what Coach Cutcliffe like, thinks you know, working on fundamentals, um, mechanics, you know, footwork. I mean, every like working on the details and then getting Shep and Slayton out there working on timing and, and route running. I just feel like that's such an awesome event uh, that that'll happen every year. I'm, I'm sure they'll be back this offseason, too. It was surprising to see them back there that quick, Justin. We were actually texting over the weekend and you're like, oh, this is actually really cool that it's happening. And my response to you was basically I really don't think it's like that big of a deal. I, I said it, you know, it was uh, stupidly and you know, kind of now looking back on it, I said it was like a PR stunt. Bobby, what I want you to do is I want you to describe to me how that was a terrible take and that was a terrible opinion and thought that I had and why that's actually significant that they all got together specifically with Cutcliffe and what he can bring to the table for, you know, maybe not just for Jones, but overall the connection between him and the wide receivers. So what's, what's significant about that that you enlightened me over the weekend? Yeah, well, it's... To think that, like, cause, and we'll talk about the whole, like, playbook. Do they have it uh, thing or not? But basically, it's just, like I said, it's learning mechanics of playing football. The stuff that you don't, like, that you need want to train yourself to not even have to think about. Where it's, you know, like, you know, whether it's, you know, taking the step, uh, stepping up and stuff like that. Just little things that you want to work on. So it's not like they're like, all right, this is how we attack the cover two. Or this is what we do against cover three. And then, like, they're not drawing up plays. They're learning how to play the fundamentals of football. And working on timing with your receivers is always great, especially Darius Slayton, who was such a vertical threat for them. And even with Shep, Justin, there's probably like a couple touchdowns left on the board where Jones just barely missed Shepard. So 
you know, this offseason with that timing, you know, who's to say that that doesn't uh, increase? And, you know, those touchdowns are, are, are New York Giants points instead of ifs. So that's basically what it is. And I'm, I'm saying from this outside looking at I'm actually kind of guessing. That's what I'm assuming, but that's what it looked like when Eli and Peyton were there. They weren't, you know, drawing up plays. And the topic of, like, the CBA, it's a dead time right now, and Daniel Jones isn't allowed to talk football with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett and stuff like that. And the rules are, like, you can't do that. But, Justin, and I kind of went back and forth on this. I just have a hard time believing that the important players, like Daniel Jones, you know, the QBs, who are, are like, they are the QB, aren't reaching out to Garrett and Joe Judge and be, and talking. I just I just find that so hard to believe. And I remember this conversation happened last year with Rodgers and LaFleur. I just do not see them not having any talk. Uh, I'm not saying they had like some official 100-page playbook, but there has been some kind of communication. I just, I just find it so hard to believe that there's been none. And the NFL is usually pretty strict with this. Uh, we saw this during the time of the lockout. I was looking up some articles today. We saw this during the time of the lockout while the the newest CBA was being negotiated, uh, where Chad Henney uh, was, uh, had a new offense coordinator. They had a new staff over there, um, and they contacted each other, and they got in trouble for it. It would really surprise me because they do. there is a new CBA that's currently in the process of being negotiated right now. They should make an exception for new coaches and new coaching staffs that come in, maybe not for new offensive coordinators, even though that wouldn't make the most sense, but at least for, you know, when you're changing head coaching staffs or if you're changing management as a whole, you know, then of course you're changing. If you're changing management, you're most likely changing your coaching staff as well. They should make the exception that, that those new teams should be able to meet because I've said this on previous podcast episodes before teams aren't practicing the same amount of time that they used to be practicing over the summer. So teams automatically with the new playbook and with the new, you know, with new coaching, you know, they're behind the eight ball basically compared to teams that have had the continuity of being in the second, third year, fourth year and plus in their system. I think that's partially why it makes the Patriots so good because they they keep everybody internal. You barely see any external hires. Everybody is promoted within and it's been the same system for how long? And that's what makes them so distinct and what makes them so unique and so special is that they're able to have that continuity. So I would be really surprised if that, that or no, I mean, not. I guess I wouldn't be surprised because at the end of the day, the CBA is about the players making money. And <laughs> if it's not making them more money, I don't know if they're necessarily interested in it, but it really should be a part of the new CBA to negotiate this within for new coaching staffs. The reason it's not is because they don't want anything voluntary to be seen as mandatory, like kind of the way like OTAs are now, like the voluntary trainings. Like, I mean, it's a story every year when Odell doesn't show up because although they are voluntary, they are essentially they're, they're looked at as mandatory. Like you should be here. And it, it speaks negatively to you if you don't show up. So they don't want that situation. So they don't want they they don't want the the players to have any pressure. And then players, you know, they hope would report that. Even though you know, I just I have a hard time seeing like a player reporting their own coach if they if they like him. The difference is is there's nothing stopping Daniel Jones from reaching out to the coaching staff and being like, let's talk. Because then the only way you ever get caught is if someone accidentally tells on themselves like Chad Henney did to the media in that article that you were uh, referring to, <laughs> where he, he told the media, oh, yeah, we talk all the time. Well, that's the only way you can get caught is if somebody tell somebody goes and tells the PA or the NFL or 
if they just accidentally slip up and say, yep, we've been talking a lot. I was also reading about the usage of tablets. And this is around the, this article was from the LA Times in 2018. And what I find to be interesting about tablets is teams, and I don't know if it's teams or the league, they have the ability, I think it's individual teams, they have the ability to wipe the data clean off of your tablets. So at the end of the year, when you used to turn in your paper playbooks, but you were able to keep your notes, if you had like a notepad and whatnot, I th- and I'm pretty sure Eli Manning being the guy that he was, he would always, no matter if he had a tablet or not, he would always take his, you know, his notes by hand. But I, I don't, I, I don't know. I just don't know how it works today where guys, if you, are you allowed to keep your notes that's I'm- on the tablet over the off season? So I feel like that's, even though there's a new system and the notes would be different, uh, I, I still think that's pretty significant. And like, you know, your hand notes are yours. And unless you throw them away, they're yours and they're not going anywhere. But on a tablet, that can be manipulated in any kind of way. So I, I also found that whole conversation to be interesting. Another secret, Justin, is that not everyone turns in their playbook at the end of the year anyways. Ooh. Like, why would they make Daniel Jones turn in his playbook? Could he, do you think that he's going to go share it with the world or he's going to or or the unless they had plans to move on from him? There's there's certain players that they don't have to turn in their playbook. And I don't think that's not even against the rules. At least I don't I, I'd assume it's not. So, yeah, that's basically my point with this is that, like, yes, I understand it's against the rules. I just find it hard to believe that guys aren't bending these rules a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, think of how much teams would be behind the eight ball if they had no communication until the spring. If they literally had no communication until the spring, how much would they be behind the eight ball in terms of installing a new offense, installing a new system? Everybody tries to bend the rules. Everybody tries to get a competitive advantage. Uh, You hope that the Giants do it, and you hope they do it in a way where they don't get caught and nobody's stupid and they don't say anything to the media. So We do get an extra mini camp, though, because of the new coach. So that'll be some some more things for us to talk about. (laughs) Justin, let's talk about the interior defensive line, a.k.a. just the defensive line in a 3-4 scheme. This is a controversial group. You had the first round pick in Dexter Lawrence. You have the best remaining pick from the Jerry Reese era. It's up to him, either him or, or uh, Shepard and Dalvin Tomlinson. You got BJ Hill, who was a lot was expected out of and had his uh, snaps cut. And then D- Justin, we're going to start with Leonard Williams. Probably the most, the second most controversial move of Dave Gettleman. Probably the, the trade I'm the most negative on. Even though, like, I would say Al Ogletree is a worse trade because Al Ogletree is not good. The fact that we could have just signed Leonard Williams in free agency makes it, it just makes it the worst trade. We could just out, I would have rather outbid, I would have rather paid him an extra few million a year than to give up our third and fourth round pick. Nonetheless, I do think Leonard Williams is a good football player. I'm glad that he'll be a part of the Giants, most likely. But the trade is just what Muddy thinks. And he his name was in the headlines this week, too, because of what he's asking for, which is, of course, he's asking for a lot of money. Yeah, uh, he's asking for $15 million. And I, I had a video that uh, did qu- quite well on uh, Instagram and Twitter because I saw a lot of content creators uh, won't name names. I guess uh, if you're again, this is one of those things. If you're smart enough, you'll know. It's not even just content creators. It's been a lot of people are bashing. Well, if this guy's asking for $15 million, ain't no way the Giants are going to give that to him. All right, goodbye. Let's go after Yannick Ngakwe. Okay, here's my opinion. Here's my take, right? And I think it makes logical, perfect sense. And I don't understand, Bobby. I realistically don't understand if fans don't feel this way. 
I, I don't understand how you how you do not feel this way. I also disagree with the trade. I think it is the second worst Dave Gettleman trade. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the second worst Dave Gettleman move because I th- can't think of that on the top of my head. But it's the second worst Dave Gettleman trade. I put I put Alec Ogletree in front of him. You give up a high leverage third round pick. You're a GM whose strength is in drafting. So in order to make the trade worth it, because if you let Leonard Williams walk, Bobby, if you let Leonard Williams walk, that high leverage third round pick walks with him. If you re-sign Leonard Williams, at least you make that pick worth something. You make that pick worth something and you get four, five more years out of Leonard Williams, who is in the prime of his career. Bobby, how old is he? How old is he? We'll look at the top of his profile reference page. Jeez, 25. 20, you get five years out of Leonard Williams? Not Now, not saying that Leonard Williams is going to light the world on fire, but if you look at his production in blue, which, Bobby, I don't know if you want to read his stats, so I may be jumping your, taking your show a little bit here. Go for it, Johnny. I'll at least read you the stats that, that I find to be most significant. You know, sure, criticize Leonard Williams all you want for not getting sacks. He had 11 QB hits. In his game with in his games with the Giants, eight games, five games started. Whatever that whatever that means, games started uh, by Pro Football Reference. He started all eight games. I don't like the way they do that either. But still, sure, sure. But eight games. So guess what? Sixteen game rate. This is simple math for me. That's twenty two QB hits, Bobby. For a three four defensive end, where you're not going to be putting up those flashy numbers. Those are some pretty. Good damn stats. One of the main reasons why we got Leonard Williams is because of his ability in the run game. All right, and shout out to Anthony on the Talking Giants team. I feel like I'm bringing him, bringing him up a lot recently because uh, he's a pretty awesome follow on Twitter. So here are some real stats. Before the Leonard Williams trade, 4.2 yards per attempt, 127 yards per game, and this is with in terms of the Giants defense, 2,046 yards annualized. And then after the Leonard Williams trade and after he was acquired by the Giants, 3.4 yards per attempt, and that's almost an entire uh, yard less, 94 yards per game, and about 1,500 yards annualized. Obviously, Leonard Williams is not going to fix everything on this Giants defense, but for what we brought him in here to do, which is to collapse the pocket, get consistent quarter pressure on the quarterback, and also help in the run game. He did all of those things tremendously. Is he worth $15 million? No. No, he is not. But why in the world, if you are Leonard Williams, why would you lowball yourself and come out and say, you want to know what? Yeah, you know, I'm only worth 10. I'm only worth $12 million. We all know he's not worth $15 million. So why are you freaking out and already saying that this guy shouldn't be signed by the Giants? And honestly, I think you look stupid. Because if you want to give Yannick, Yannick Ngakwe $20 million when he had 15 quarterback hits in 2019, when Leonard Williams in his 16-game rate had 20, had seven more quarterback hits than Yannick Ngakwe, and when probably we're going to sign Leonard Williams for $12 million per year probably, I think you look stupid and you look uneducated. And you have to make the trade worth it. All right, that's it. I'm done. Sorry. I, I agree with you, Simon. And and signing him for money, like whatever, doesn't bother me because we have so many guys on rookie deals. So um, as long as we're not giving guys seven-year contracts, I'm fine with it. Uh, so the money's not what bothers me. But to play the other side is that QB hits, like I remember one of those QB hits was on Aaron Rodgers and it was a 40-yard game. I get that sacks can be a misleading number, but damn, they're important. And he only had half a sack this year. Um, tackles for a loss. He had two this year. Like, that's not good. Now, the QB hits was was pretty good. 
But it was also his lowest in his career, Justin. I mean, this was probably this was his worst year of his career, which is weird in a contract year. So like, it's just kind of just been luck of the draw. I mean, he had a, basically a, a, a either a Pro Bowl or all pro, all pro year in 2016, where he had seven sacks, you know, 11 tackles for a loss. You know, he's had consistently 20 QB hits in 2015, 2017, 2018. Um, you know, a, you know, double digit tackles for a loss in a couple seasons, and uh, at the time of the trade, I don't know how these stats have been updated, but from 2016 to the time of the Leonard Williams trade, tackles for a loss among interior defensive linemen, third. Run stops, he was third from interior defensive linemen. And then percentage of, of, of tackles in the run game for a loss or no gain, he was second at 39%. So he has been a productive player. Now, his worst time was in 2019. I just see that kind of as a down year production wise because obviously like he didn't get lazy in his contract year. So I don't know what to make all of it, but to say that he doesn't get any sacks is a little misleading because he has gotten them throughout his career. I mean he's got seven he had, you know, uh, seventeen through four seasons. So is he the third worth the third overall pick the Jets drafting for? Obviously not, but I think he's a good football player. I think he's worth a, a pretty sizable contract. Um, he, like you said, with Anthony stats, he improved the run game, no doubt. And I think he's a good football player to have on this team. It just sucks that we traded away picks for him. No, and, and you're right. But and I'm I'm with you. And everybody that has said, but the trade was horrible. You know, the player hasn't been tremendous. I understand all of those things. Trying to read in between the lines, saying that you want to know what this player actually does make everyone else around him better. He can make average talent around him look a lot better. He's playing a very difficult position to put up a lot of flashy numbers. It's not like this guy's a 4-3 defensive end where he's on the edge and he can do d- different and various things. You know, he's playing he's playing A gaps, he's playing B gaps, and that's tough. It's tough to produce in terms of pass rush there. But I kind of want to revisit, do you agree with this sentiment that I have that in order to make the trade worth it, to make this trade worth it, and I'm not saying it's going to be a, a W, if we sign Leonard Williams for the next five years, right, four or five years at $12 million, do the math, I think if you let him walk, you also let that early third round pick walk, and then I think the trade is a colossal, colossal, huge loss because we traded away an early third round pick for a half a year rental on a losing football team. And that's what a lot a lot of people are saying that, you know, just to let him walk, it's, oh yeah, we save all that money. No, it's not just that. We did all of that and we gave up a pretty good pick for a, with the GM that drafts pretty well for a half a year rental. If you want to talk about something that I would be extremely dubious of Dave Gettleman, even before heading into the season and any football has been played, I am pretty, pretty down on Dave Gettleman if he does not sign Leonard Williams because you need to make the trade worth it. That's the problem, though, with it, is that Leonard Williams an agent knows that just as much as that we do, is that Dave Gettleman right. has to sign Leonard Williams. This, this trade, I'm even if they, they get him and they get him on a decent deal, this trade is just not worth it because you gave up picks for a guy you could have just gotten. Right. Um, and I, I understand the argument, too. That would you tri- would you rather have a third round pick or Leonard Williams? Yes, I'd rather have Leonard Williams. And do third round picks always pan out? No. I mean, if 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 we knew that that pick was going to be BJ Hill, would we be mad about it? No, not really. But it's the fact that you don't give yourself that shot 
to find a Connolly, to find a Slayton, to find uh, a Julian Love, to find anybody in that late rounds for a guy you could have over uh, just like I'm fine. Like you have to overpay free agents. Like the problem with Nate Solder wasn't his contract; it's the fact that he just played bad. Uh, right. So if they overpaid for Leonard Williams and he wasn't the, like the most amazing player, and I, I understand a lot of people would get mad because that's just the nature of of, of fans, including ourselves. But I wouldn't have been mad about that at all. And so I would have much rather just paid him, you know, I would rather paid him $15 million a year and not traded away a third and a fourth round pick. You brought up a great point with that. Leonard Williams and his agent should know that the Giants are in this desperate position. That, hey, you want to know what? They kind of made a bad trade. They kind of made <laughs> a trade where you're trying to go out and you're buying at the deadline when they should have, when they realistically should have been selling. So why not ask for $15 million? Why not? The, what's the, the worst that you are going to hear back from football teams is no. You're not worth that. Good for him for asking for $15 million. Uh, Dave Gettleman did this to himself. I think they have to re-sign him to make the deal worth it. Like I said, it won't be a W if they re-sign him. It, it will be a W if he comes back and he plays tremendously well. Which I think he will, honestly. With he, like Dalvin Thomason got a lot better when he was uh, acquired. Dexter Lawrence. Well, 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 let's talk about Dexter Lawrence. 2019 rookie season. He had 38 tackles, three tackles for a loss, two and a half sacks at 6'4, 342 pounds, 22 years old. That's a big old sexy Dexy. Nine QB hits. Played 70 or 63% of the snaps, 702 total. Justin, I love Dexter Lawrence. I really do. He, I think he's going to be an awesome player. That being said, it seemed like he hit a little bit of a rookie wall. Where that first half of the season, Justin, I mean, he was mauling dudes. I mean, Tampa, we don't win the Tampa game if it's not for Dexter Lawrence. But he, towards the end of the season, he seemed to not be as dominant. Where he was beating guys, but he, he wasn't like he was. He would beat the guy in front of him, but he wouldn't turn that into production. What I'm saying is, he can drive a guard back five yards. But if the running back is running right past you, it doesn't really mean anything. So what we need is to, for him to take that physical mauling ability and turn that into production, which I expect him to do. And, you know, that's that's stuff that happens in your rookie year. So I'm very high on Dexter Lawrence. I can't wait to see what he does with a better secondary, with better edge rushers. I mean, he might be the biggest beneficiary, the, have the, the biggest beneficiary of having a better team all around on defense. You have to be impressed by what you saw from Dexter Lawrence. For a guy that got a lot of criticism that he couldn't get to the quarterback, you saw him get consistent QB pressure. You saw him really maul people. I particularly liked, even thinking back to the preseason, where Dexter Lawrence was kind of getting hate before everybody was on the pro Dexter Lawrence train and actually seeing how good of a ball player that he was. Even going back to preseason, Bobby, now I understand teams don't necessarily game plan and you don't scheme you know, to fit certain players and to go up against certain players on the defensive side of the ball, but people were upset in terms of saying, where's Dexter Lawrence? Where's Dexter Lawrence? You don't see any of them. You don't hear anything from him. He was getting double teamed constantly, 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 and I made a video of it. I actually found, I found that video. I'll tweet it out. I'll put it. I'll post it out tomorrow again or today when you're listening to this, but he got consistent QB pressure. He was productive in the run game. He did kind of hit a QB wall. He had a pretty good game against Miami, but who didn't have a good game against Miami against that bad offensive line? 
Um, but it's really the sky is the limit. And I think you brought up a great point with an improved secondary where hopefully if we are forcing the quarterback uh, or quarterbacks that we go up against, if we're forcing them to be holding on to the ball for longer, that will help this overall effort of collapsing the pocket from the inside, which should be a strength of ours no matter what we do. Uh, no matter what we do in free agency in the draft, that should be a strength of ours in 2020, led by Tomlinson, led by Lawrence, led by Hill. Hopefully Leonard Williams is back too to help with, the, with, to help with those efforts. So I agree, Bobby, sky's the limit. Uh, he was one of the best rookies uh, out there, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, it's actually very strange. Pro Football Focus uh, gave him 29 QB pressures, but if you look at the advanced defense and fumble stats on pro football reference, there's 15 pressures, which is ultimately a part of my frustration that there's so much discrepancy in football stats that you almost don't even know where to look. But that's just a personal I'll, quarrel. I'll say from my past experiences, uh, I'll go with pro football reference. There you go. There you go. Dexter, Dexter Lawrence, good. Yeah, so Dexter Lawrence, I mean, I don't think there's much to expand on him. We, we expect him to be a really good player and. I think the ceiling for him is like a better version of Fletcher Cox. So Ooh. we know we know what we've seen with him. Dexter Lawrence can move around. Like he is a he. It makes watching a defensive tackle fun. He really does. Like I love watching offensive film when I go back and do my film reviews on on Tuesdays after after games. I love watching the offense on defense. I don't love watching much part, part, mostly because there was just nothing to be too excited about on the Giants' defense. But Dexter Lawrence was exciting to watch. Which is you just don't see as a defense from a defensive interior defensive lineman. Next on the list was another guy that was really fun to watch, Dalvin Tomlinson, six foot three, three hundred eighteen pounds. He's twenty six years old this month. He had his best season by far. He finished with forty nine tackles, seven tackles for a loss, three and a half sacks, nine QB hits, and Justin. He really benefited from Leonard Williams. I mean, he was. He was mauling dudes. Like I never, he was throwing guys to the sides. Like I probably made there's probably like four or five weeks in a row where I made a Dalvin Thomason video of him just throwing guys to the side. He was arguably the best the the best player on the Giants defense in 2019. I mean, he really improved, and that's a testimony to letting guys play out. You know what I'm saying? Where go like at the trade deadline. Justin, including myself, was like, okay, so we're trading for Leonard Williams. We got B.J. Hill. Um, Dalvin's got one year on his contract with this. We should trade Dalvin before, you know, at the deadline. Since then, man, he has looked really good, even though he wasn't bad in the first part, but he wasn't just overwhelming. Dalvin Thomason was a lot of fun to watch, and it's going to be interesting to see how he is in 2020. I was with you. Uh, you know, call call me a stupid idiot. Uh, I was with you, and I was the one of the lead lead conductors of the trade Dalvin Tomlinson train. Uh, I felt you needed to get some sort of value back from that Leonard Williams trade as well. But one of the in most interesting things that I found about Dalvin Tomlinson this year, they were actually lining him up as a defensive end on third down. And I remember there was this one third down specifically against Washington where it was from left to right. It was Dalvin Tomlinson. And then uh, O'Shane Ximenez was standing up in the A-gap as, you know, kind of like an interior linebacker, but an edge rusher, you know, that was lined up in the A-gap, you know, standing on his feet. Dexter Lawrence was thrown in there too. Jabril Peppers was close to the line of scrimmage as well. It was, and I'm like, you know, in what world is that combination going to work out? You put O'Shane Ximenez, who's normally an edge rusher, you put him going up the middle, but that play actually generated and it wound up in a sack where Dexter Lawrence wound, wound up getting the sack. But, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson, 
which if you were to tell me at the beginning of 2019 or at the end of 2018 that Dalvin Tomlinson would be lining up as a defensive end on a third down, I would even I would even ask you what in the world is Dalvin Tomlinson even doing on the football field? <laughs> on a third down, on a passing third down. He had three and a half sacks this year. Uh, he got some even a little bit more pressure on the quarterback then. He really did push the pocket, and it was so, so impressive to see all year. Uh, but particularly, he's been one of the league's best run stoppers, quietly, might I add. He has been quietly one of the league's best run stoppers, and he pr- and he really proved his worth, and he really proved to, uh, why he deserves to stay on this football team this year when I was kind of doubting him. I was like, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson's good, but he's limited in his capabilities because of, you know, he's only a run stopper. He kind of proved that he's an extremely versatile player this year, which was really, really fun. He was just disruptive. There's plays where he doesn't get a tackle, where he blows up a guard, like literally puts the guy on his back, and that forces a running back to bounce it outside, and it ends up being a tackle for a loss for a corner or Marcus Golden. He was a disruptor. And I'm telling you, now that Janoris Jenkins isn't on the team, I – I think he gets votes for the MVP of the defense. Now, it's not a good defense, so it's not the greatest honor in the world. But I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, none of the linebackers. 16-game sample. It's between him and Golden. And I would I would go Dalvin Tomlinson as the, the MVP of this defense in 20, 2019. So that's, that's good to see. You know, he's a $1.1 million cap hit this year um, with his contract. This is last year, so there might be a decision ended up being made. Part of me thinks that Gettleman will move on from him because of, you know, us bringing back Leonard Williams most likely, Dexter Lawrence. And another young guy we got in BJ Hill, Justin, six foot three, 311 pounds, 24 years old. Justin, in 2018, he took 59% of the snaps. In 2019, that dropped uh, by 15% to 44%, mostly because of the Leonard Williams signing uh, or trade. As, as well as the Dexter Lawrence draft pick. He finished with 36 tackles, two tackles for a loss, and a sack with two QB hits. B.J. Hill, I think he was just very right down the middle this year. He wasn't spectacular. He didn't give you anything to be like, wow, this guy is going to be a solid piece for this team. But he also didn't play bad either. He was just, it was a very average year in the time that he got. We were, uh, now I'm going to say we. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll say I. I was kind of expecting a pretty big jump. You know, I, I was look you're looking at this Giants defense as a whole. You didn't really want to fully believe the Lorenzo Carter hype, even though you were a lot of people, including myself, they were kind of invested in Lorenzo Carter. Marcus Golden coming off the ACL injury in the second year, you know, coming off of a bad year in 2018. You didn't fully know what to expect in him, even though a lot of people were excited about him. But BJ Hill was the one guy. It was the one guy where you're like, you know what? The potential to get pressure on the quarterback is there along with his ability in the run game. Being so versatile, being so, you know, being being having such a complete good year for a rookie. For a rookie, he had a very good year for a rookie. You expected out of there was one guy that you really wanted to take that jump and you said, this guy needs to be a stud. This guy needs to be a stud in the front four for us. Bobby, he just he just didn't do it for me. Uh, I I know the play was if you just look at the play and it's average and there's not maybe a ton to dissect and you want you wanted what eh, he was there and especially post Leonard Williams straight his you know somebody snap share had to take a dip and had to take a fall and it was him and I think it took a fall for a reason because he was not playing up to his potential. Now could have just been the fact that Tomlinson was so dominant in the run game 
and was so versatile in that regard where he actually started getting consistent quarterback pressure. Maybe it's system. Maybe maybe this uh, maybe this uh, system for Patrick Graham can fit BJ Hill a little bit better in terms of utilizing him in a different spot and in a different way, where he actually can see the field a little bit more. Obviously, if Leonard Williams isn't coming back, the conversation around BJ Hill is we are is we're praying that he can you know not necessarily turn it around but continue to kind of step it up. Maybe it's because we had I had such high expectations for him heading uh, coming off of his rookie year, but I was. Very, very disappointed um, because there were times where I made some videos this year and I was watching them like BJ Hill actually just got his ass kicked on this play on this play. And it wasn't even a matter of him losing defensive snaps where I was like, oh, you can't play everyone. But I was like, OK, I'm actually fine with BJ Hill not getting these snaps because he's not playing up to the standard that we need him to be playing. Yeah, well, what stinks is he was, you know, he was a third round pick. So that's, you know, that's pretty mm-hmm. good draft. When we talked about earlier with Lenny Williams, you know, third round picks, you know, sometimes they turn into all pros and, but most majority of the time they turn into guys who have the, you know, the career trajectory that it looks like BJ Hill is going to have at this time. Cause there's just, there's just not enough snaps to go around with him right now. I didn't have crazy expectations for him this year. It was, like you mentioned him and Lorenzo Carter were my two guys that I thought a lot of people were going to expect them to double their production and I thought I was going to stay the same, if not get worse. Um, and, you know, just the thought that, you know, B.J. Hill and his rookie season, three of his five and a half sacks came against the Chicago Bears in one game. Now, you can't take those away, but it's just like a look into those stats. Um, this year, you know, only having one sack, but he, uh, it's not like, you know, he, he had about 100 or so less snaps. So there's still, you know, production to be had, and he just didn't really put it all together. He's still very important to the team. Like, don't get me wrong, even though we're kind of like poo-pooing on him a little bit right now. It's, I'm not even like going at him. It's just I just don't see with who he is, him getting real snaps with, with a trio of Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and Dalvin Thompson. Those guys are, you know, there's 30% of the time, you know, one of those guys are off the field. Still think he's very valuable, though, because in that regard, uh, you know, Ernie Corsi, Ernie Corsi was the guy that, you know, that, that coined the term, you can never have enough pass rushers, you can never have enough defensive linemen. And even in a 3-4 system, that can still hold true for your interior guys. We saw the the results of uh, 2016 where Olivier Vernon and Jason Pierre-Paul were literally on the field for 90% of the snaps, and we saw the the toll that that took, the, that that took on them as the season went on. So I like having the depth there. Uh, I I like having that versatility in that regard. Just got to, you know, upgrade the edge position and those guys can look a lot better. And obviously the interior defensive lineman can make the edge guys look a lot better as well. So I like having right. the depth. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying I don't want BJ Hill on the team. It's just, it's, it's hard to find snaps for him. And then last on the list, six foot four, 283 pound, 23 year old, 2018 fifth round pick RJ McIntosh out of the university of Miami. I like RJ McIntosh. I think he's as good as a fifth defensive uh, tackle that you can get, Justin. You know, with ten, he got ten percent of the snaps this year. He had thirteen tackles, two two tackles for a loss, and two sacks in those two QB hits. He's never going to be like a game changing defensive lineman. You can put him on the field in a big moment and not be stressed out about it. So I like RJ McIntosh. Um, I think he can develop into a starter for someone eventually. Like I like you know it's the same conundrum we have with BJ Hill. I don't see it being here with the Giants, but I think another team could eventually make him, you know, their third defensive tackle. 
I like RJ McIntosh a lot, man. He's one of he's uh one of those like bottom the roster guys that I'm just a fan of. What are your thoughts on him, Justin? Yeah, made the most out of his time. Uh, you you were you and Danny were guys that kind of hyped him up when nobody else was hyping him up during the preseason, during training camp. You're like, you know, look out for this guy, and you know, he certainly when he was out there, he made his he made the most of his time. Not sure if he's going to be back next year. Don't really see there being a need, or don't really see there being room. I do, I do see him being on the team. I, I see us running five defense alignment on the active roster. Um, so I, I do see McIntosh on the team, and I just. I don't think we're going to draft any more defensive tackles. The thing with RJ McIntosh is like, like go watch his matchup with Quentin Nelson in college, Miami versus Notre Dame. RJ McIntosh won that battle of those two guys. Like he outplayed Quentin Nelson and there's times where he blew up Quentin Nelson. So it's just like, you see that and it's like, man, you could just kind of get some of that at the NFL level, man. You could be, you could be a pretty, pretty good NFL football player. Strange how they label him as a defensive tackle. When he's much better playing defense, and I, I get defense, defensive tackle, a three, defensive four end defensive three, tackle four. is a defensive. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I, I know, but it's just weird how they, it's weird how they do it. And he's two hundred eighty-three pounds. You would think he'd be a little bit bigger. It's kind of small. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's the smallest of of this group by far. I mean, the closest yeah. one is who? BJ or Lennon Williams is only three hundred two pounds, but he he is like Lennon Williams is a towering figure. You see him next to like you. You see him next to Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Thompson, and you realize how freaking huge that guy is. There's a good picture of those three when the trade happened. So yeah, R.J. McIntosh. I do see him on the 2020 roster in the same spot that he was in 2019. Um, we'll see what we get out of him. Maybe he's, you know, maybe a, a, another team looks at him and being like, you know, we could use him, and they trade a seventh round pick. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen from here on out. But I, I do like R.J. McIntosh, and I'm glad he's on the team. He is much better than Chris Slayton, the Syracuse defensive tackle, who we are not going to talk about at all. Did you know that Leonard Williams has a nickname of Big Cat? Yes, I did know that. I big, just big found that out. Ooh, were, you looking at his, were you looking at his pro football reference page? Yeah, I was. They yeah, had some uh, of the I... worst nicknames, though. Like NBA is the worst, but NFL is not bad. But the nicknames that these guys get... Um, and the NBA pro basketball references are just ridiculous. <laughs> Wait, that must be funny. <laughs> like Dion, Dion, hold on, I'm going to look it up right now. Downhill Dion, Kobe Wade, a Google Me, and Headache are the four nicknames for Dion Waiters. So the basketball ones are just out of control. All those nicknames gave me a headache. Kobe Wade, how cocky do you have to be to give yourself that nickname? <laughs> Google Me. And, what a douche. Uh, that's why Deion Waiters could not get along with teammates. That's why he was the first person to be traded from Cleveland by LeBron. Um, after Andrew Wiggins, but, he, but he doesn't. But he doesn't count. But he does not count. Justin, I think that's the show. We went through the defensive linemen. We're going to go through outside linebackers on Friday. We're working on some stuff. Remember the interview I told you where the guy was going to flake? He flaked. I'm not mad at him. I'm really not mad at him at all. I, I was honestly kind of relieved because I had some stuff I wanted to do on Friday. Fun fact, the the guy that flaked on us was uh, actually Baker Mayfield, and then this is how Bobby responded. I'm going to whoop your ass, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> that is true. Uh, we need to interview Baker eventually. He has He's so fake humble. Anyways, I don't want to go on a Baker Mayfield rant. We appreciate you guys. Um, if you're sticking with us these long in these episodes, we appreciate you guys because, like, I just – you're, you're, you're true Giants fans, and we love it. 
And that's why Amen. we do this is because we're we're right there with you. I have an ask. Ask. My ask is we have been doing this thing where we have been keeping our five-star ratings and the number of five-star ratings on the Apple Podcast app, we've been keeping that slightly above the amount of episodes that we have. This is episode 127. As of Monday night, we have 128 ratings. So we're creeping up on that mark. I would rather not have the episode number get over the amount of five-star ratings we have on the Apple Podcast app. So if you are listening, and if you do appreciate what you're doing, I don't care if you don't have an iPhone. Find your sisters, find your mothers, find your cousins, and take the iPhone and give us a five-star rating and write a nice review if you enjoy us. Please and thank you. We love you. Be well. Bobby Skinner. We appreciate it. And we'll see you guys on Friday. Make sure to check out the YouTube uh, videos of me and Anthony. We're putting them out on Thursdays. where we like This week we're going to watch Andrew Thomas and Chasen from LSU. We go head to head, and, and we're just we just we talk about it. We go through plays. Check that out. I feel like that's some good stuff. I don't think anyone is doing anything like that. So make sure to check that out. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you on Friday. Until then, let's go big blue.